each have their own innate specialness, items that uh, have established themselves as special in our lives, in the day-to-day -day functionality of our bodies moving through space, you know, pushing air away as we cut through the aerodynamics of movement and how that changes as one gets older and a little more frumpy, things start to sink, gravity does its work. It's inevitable, it's what's going to happen at some point, you know, to fall forward into some predisposed uh, state of uh, de deceasedness, having been deceased from the planet. Uh, it's all of a piece. And one needs only to, uh, to, uh, to... Uh, I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. Resign oneself to the inevitable of everything. Ah, ham and eggs. It's 9.14 a.m. Saturday, June the 5th, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane here we sit every week like it's so amazing we will we'll just be talking about something ordinary and then and then bill turns on the mic and just takes whatever no, we've done and spins it into this that's not what i do story. I, don't, I don't do that you do i don't so. do that i just talk off the top of my head until, I know. until it but runs the, out but the way layers you, of sense falling away the way you second talk second to second word to word <laughs> the way you talk about things in that way is just phenomenal to me the other thing that's phenomenal to me is when you answer the phone for certain people and you start going off on, on all these that's just Jim <laughs> it's mostly just Jim yeah. Yeah. because Jim often does that too well, you should say what you do. You, you know, you're kind of announcing like it's some sort of it when you... <laughs> what, do you what do you want me to say? You want me to give an example? Yeah. Well, it's sort of like... You answer the phone, parts and service. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Joe's Pizza got a nickel. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And then Jim will usually respond by saying, yeah, do you have any of the, the fur-covered carburetors that, you know, from that are imported from Switzerland that have the, you know, three fractional units uh, displacement uh, attached to the rocker bearing arms of, you know, and we just go from there. And at some point somebody says, hey, Jim, <laughs> hey, Bill. what the hell do you want? You know, that kind of thing. I like talking to Jim. But, you know, he wasn't available yesterday when I called him, and then I got a call from him last evening wherein I was forced to, you know, come up with eight or nine different openings because he was just being silent. And then I realized that he probably didn't have, he was calling from somewhere where he didn't have signal and I just couldn't hear him, so I hung up. Because, you know, even though I respect the guy, I don't respect him that much. I'm not just going to sit there... <laughs> Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. ...on the phone for a half an hour listening to silence, hoping to hear him breathe. You boy. It's, <laughs> it's good coffee. We just don't have that kind of relationship, is what I'm saying. That being said... Uh, <laughs> Gee, it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine. As per usual, over to you, Diane. <laughs> okay, what's happened this week? Well, one thing, yes, we certainly had the the layout that I was working on last weekend. Yes. Uh, was accomplished. 
within a day, and I felt it in my body. In your body? <laughs> For a couple of days. Did you feel the weight of gravity uh, dragging you? No. Yes, I yeah. felt the weight of gravity. Uh, no, I just, because I really had to mad dash it, and it was quite a... You were determined to get that done so that you could have a weekend. Yeah, I really and, wanted to have a couple of days it. off. You nailed it. And the end product is looking good. Yeah, we just got it yesterday. I, yeah. I'm really pleased. And um, and after that, part of the reason why I, I wanted to get this done too is that we had our first visitor in the house for a long time. I mean... Well, Alan had been here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I should have sent our first visitor that since the kitchen was since the kitchen was done right because when alan was here it was still under destruction yeah yeah. and it felt it felt odd to felt incomplete yeah Yeah. so i really wanted to have it look nice and i worked on kind of and you know alice is one of those one of those people that whether we choose to admit it or not and i think we do admit it she's kind of an artistic uh, touchstone Oh yeah! I mean, we want. I want to admit it. Yeah. I I definitely I wanted to present this for her first time walking in as a a joyous view of this transformation. The idealized version of uh, right. You know the full accomplishment of what we had only imagined, and uh, we were just talking this morning about how. Well, our imaginations seem to work together. Oh yeah. To, to make something like this a reality, because it's, I mean, it's like it's like a whole different house. It feels like a whole different house now. It really does. Yeah. And when you're in the kitchen, it is a light and bright and welcoming kind of feeling that you have, and it's different than it used to be. <laughs> it's very different. And it's weird, you know. You go to get a glass of water from the fridge, and you feel different than you did before. Yeah. Pr- Prior to that, it was functional and yeah. and it was fine. And you didn't have any sense that there could be you know a heightened right. uh, sensation from it. You don't expect to get actual sensations from a kitchen. But yeah. So the, I was I was actually doing things like scrubbing the floors and stuff like that, which I have not done in a in such a meticulous way for a while. Uh. Another thing that my body definitely felt mm. in its pull towards gravity. So that was a lot of fun, just to be able to present our our transformed home that has happened over this past year yeah. uh, to Alice. And you got a haircut. Oh, yeah, that was a big event. Yeah, I got a haircut. And Diane and I have discovered a... Uh, haircutting place that's right in our neighborhood, like, you know, seven-minute walk from our house. And Diane had gone there first and was very happy with the results, and so I thought, well, what the heck, I'll try this out. And I, too, am quite happy with the results. So, it's pretty cool to just be able to literally walk over yeah. to this place because it's within a couple of blocks right. um, walk, and... The woman's studio is just a part of her home, uh, you know, a little side studio, but it has everything you would have in a, in a salon, but without all the the other people. Right. It's just, 
it feels like very intimate and, and she's been luxurious. There for like, she's been doing that out of that place for like 23 years. I know. But she's never needed to really advertise it because she brought a lot of clientele with her and she's gotten enough business just from word of mouth. Yeah. But she hasn't really had to advertise. So it's kind of like finding out, you know, it's like you know, you had to do a special knock and give the password or something like Sad. that to get into the inner sanctum <laughs> of hair actualization. <laughs> Which yeah. we have found in our elder years. How yes. lovely. Well, and you know, at least for me, and I know that this is probably not true of you, my standards for what is acceptable in my hair has, you know, been diminished along with my hair. And uh, so it's like, I'm not saying I'm easier to please, but I'm e easier to satisfy, you know. But this is actually pleasing. I mean, I find it a pleasing haircut and it's, there are elements to it that I had not tried before. And I thought, what the heck? Because I had a lot to work with going in that was the thing that was established first is that my hair my entire head of hair came down and was had hit my shoulders some time ago and so I and my hair was pretty darn long probably longer than it's ever been <laughs> in my life and so we had a kind of a big thing to reckon with and also we could do anything. We could go anywhere. But she said, well, the first thing I think we should we should think about is airing on the long side. Because it's going to be a lot easier for me to take more off than to put some back, you know, kind of thing. So that's kind of how we approached it. And I showed her, because I brought her, you'd asked me to bring her one of my CDs. And so I brought her a copy of Night Sky. And I showed her the picture on the back. And I said, that's too short. But the rest of it, I said, you know, in terms of the overall cut and shape, it's it's acceptable, but it's too short. So she had that to work from, too. Anyway. Yeah, I bet the, the people who are cutting hair are having quite the challenge these days. Of, yeah. because she, she like was talking me. about that and how yeah. it had been easier for her because one chair, one person, you know, small room. You don't have to deal with the rest of the clientele or, you know, any of that kind of stuff um, milling around or whatever. Well, and especially when, because I had been cutting my own bangs for... <laughs> more than a year and i was thinking man she doesn't have any line to follow anymore she has to come up with right. with with her own well that so. was kind of the the thing with mine too is you know that that long hair that i had was kind of a blank canvas you know so um, I, I was very happy with with what she did so the small things, folks. Right, haircuts. Haircuts. You know, who, who knew? Who, who knew that haircuts could be such a blissful experience? Or that they were, you know, that there was a significance to them beyond mere vanity, and you know, or the just reacquainting oneself with the fact of one's own vanity, because that's kind of been set aside for during the quarantine time. People, well, and the people, way that I even found this person was because. The place where I used to go to get my hair cut, which was not too far away, but it was a chain, they went out of business during this time. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to find that some of the places that you had frequented are no longer there. Right. Uh, you wouldn't even know it because you haven't been there for so long. So right. very strange. That is very strange. Yes, yes, Diane. It is very strange. The world is an altered place. And I think we are all altered people, and our re-entry into the world feels different. Well, it does to me. I, I'm still not 
super confident about right. going out and yeah. um I'm, and you know i, hear I feel people, like i'm sort of tentatively going out right and i hear people you know complaining about people who are sitting at home collecting unemployment with the extra money that their government is giving them and they have no reason to go back to work well I, you know i think that's i don't think people are like that i think people are i think people are genuinely nervous oh i think about so too getting back out there and they're not sure how safe it is and how do they find out how safe it is except let time go by and then a lot of the working people have kids that have not been in school and maybe they're going back now or maybe not and they have to deal with the child care issues and things like that so returning to work with the prospect of making less money than what you were getting on unemployment uh, you know it's a it's a, a quandary and it's going to take a little time to shake out well and it's interesting working at the university because you're watching week to week the policies developing right. and it isn't something that they can just say this is what we're going to do it's uh, very it's more like this is what we're going to try uh, well and they for example they were trying to determine whether they they were going to absolutely have the that the students who came back to the university would have to be vaccinated but they weren't sure how to do it with the staff and they were worried about you know how that might uh because there's some political content. Right. So they were worried about that. And, and, and how do you, because they aren't going to just have everybody come in without masks and you know just act like a normal day at the office. So right. Right. it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch from the sidelines because I'm not going back to the office. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, so that was happening. And Speaking of work, uh, this is my busy time, and I'm I'm in it now. You know the uh, yeah. it's kind of interesting how it creeps up on you, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, this is the busy time. So I am now foregoing my Fridays off for the summer, and going to be hard at it. But because of that, we haven't had as many outings or whatever. But um, but I was thinking that I was very interested in a couple of the documentaries we just watched. We've we've discovered this documentary channel, and we've really been yeah. watching a lot of documentaries in the evenings. Yeah. So what were you planning on saying, Diane? <laughs> I know that the one we watched last night was not on the PBS documentary channel. That was on Netflix, I think. Well, it wasn't just the PBS documentary right. channel that I'm speaking of, just documentaries in general. But, um, but yesterday we watched two documentaries. One was uh, how we got to now the, the documentary that we've spoken about before. It's a series. It's yeah. a series, but they've, they've addressed a particular issue each time, or a particular... Phenomenal. topic yeah. yeah and last night we watched sound which was very interesting to me because i think the reason why the series has intrigued me so much is that you never think about all the things that we have at our disposal easily now until somebody brings it to your attention 
because ever since I was a kid, we've had telephones. Ever since I was a kid, we've had radio and and uh, television was developing. And so you take a lot of things for granted that you that have a sound component to it. And it's just fascinating to to realize what had been the progression of getting that. We also watched one on cold, which was uh, very interesting to me too, that was talking yeah, about the development of refrigeration. Methods. Yeah, and how that changed the world and but immediately after we watched the sound documentary, we watched this uh, this documentary about Clive Davis. Hmm. And you had chosen that because you knew about who he was. And right. I had no idea. I'm, huh. I'm totally in a fog most of the time. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. But it was so fascinating to, to watch this documentary about, you know, you tell it. What? Right? This one guy who was, who's been in the music industry for 50 some years and starting in the fifties and through the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties and you know, two thousands and two thousand tens, and and he's just had a, a talent for picking, matching a song with an artist, and recognizing talent and potential in artists, and and you know, it was very much he's a hit maker, you know, and in the music industry, which is not something that that in, anybody that I know has participated in directly, uh, a guy like that is you know a gold mine and uh, Clive Davis has probably been the preeminent gold mine in the last 50 years of the music industry you know, from the time when the Columbia Records had no interest in this flash in the pan phenomenon called rock and roll to R&B and funk and new new wave new age just, uh, um, you know all the different genres that have developed out of rock music. And uh, the first uh, band he signed to Columbia Records that was a rock band was Big Brother and the Holding Company. And, you know, it just goes forward from there and talks about all the, the artists that he discovered or developed or found matched the right song to. Barry Manilow comes to mind only because I thought of Barry Manilow as a songwriter. But he did not write the song Mandy. He did not write the song I write the songs that make the whole world sing. He did not write I can't sing. <laughs> he didn't. All his big hits were not his songs, and I had no idea of that. You know, uh, I know he wrote a lot of his. I think he. There was a point at which he said that for every album that Barry Manilow uh, produced, Clive Davis was allowed two songs, and so Clive Davis could in, could inject two songs. But invariably, one of those two songs would be the first single for the album and be a big hit. So it's just kind of like you're watching this guy uh, operate in a field that he knows very well, even though he's not musical at all himself. He was a lawyer, and, but he just has this kind of magic touch in terms of doing these kinds of matchups and promotions and uh, I don't know. It's an amazing story yeah. to watch, and I'm sure this is, I mean, this is the, the idealized version of Clive Davis's life, and there, are, there were some dark moments, definitely, in his career, uh, mostly having to do with, you know, corporate structures and, you know, corporate takeovers and 
and weird stuff like that. But uh, it's a it's a fascinating story, and it's basically the story of commercial. That's basically the story of the record industry in the last fifty years. So it's a good good yeah. documentary. It was very interesting to watch because all sorts of things were going through my mind. One being that this one person represented, uh, they even called this the soundtrack of our lives. And I do think that he provided a lot of the the hit songs that we would grew listen up, to. That we grew up with, yeah. And I was thinking, wow, songs that's on the radio, which so is how we grew up, listening to the radio. Exactly. That's where we heard the songs we loved and the artists that we that we went into. I still remember sitting up. I remember, uh, I can't remember what radio station it was in Seattle that had to, on Sunday nights, they had the album hour where they would play a new release album front to back. And uh, I remember laying in bed. I think they, they came on like at midnight on Sunday night, so it was past my bedtime. But I stayed up to listen to uh, when James Taylor's album Gorilla came out. And they played it front to back, and I went out the next day and bought it. And that's that's where I found and really got into James Taylor was at that point, and he had already done... You know, I think that was his sixth or seventh album, you know. I mean, I was aware of Sweet Baby James and, and his hits and things like that, but I had not bought his albums until Gorilla. And it was just amazing. And radio was the magic box that every kid had, and that's where you found your music. So. I had a little tiny yellow transistor radio oh, yeah, that I had in had earplug. And right, that's what I was using too. Yeah. Those just cheap, one one earplug yeah and it ear. was am radio so the fidelity sucked yeah but it was all we ever knew that's exactly so it right. was for us it was like symphonic sound because it was ours and we could listen to what we wanted to listen to and it was you know a declaration of independence of a of a kind and the fact that you could lay in bed at night with your little earpiece in and listen to the radio was kind of cool the only time i got to listen to the radio in our living room was if my parents were gone and I was on my own and and that would be a real treat because that was a stereo radio right, and you could crank it and, and I was just like wow I know radio was an amazing part of my youth and uh, I, the fact that I ended up working in that industry for 10 years just seemed absolutely like a perfect it was the only job I ever got that I felt like I was made for this you know I have never had another job wherein I felt that much of a creative connection to it and that it was something that was in my blood, you know. And so I remember when my, and we're getting off on a tangent here, but my dad, one, one Christmas I got this multi-band radio for Christmas and it had a shortwave band on it. And I remember sitting at night, up at night with the, with the earphone in, scanning the shortwave band and you could pick up on like the network feeds. They would be sending out little little stories to the, the stations could take if they wanted to and use in their own newscasts. And and then you would hear you know ship to shore radio going on and all this weird kind of stuff. Plus, you know, it had AM and FM too. And then discovering you know KVI's Theater of the Mind, you know, that where they'd play the old time radio shows and Jim French was producing new radio dramas and stuff like that it was just radio was it was it and my best friend at the time tim swiger who's still my best friend was a radio fanatic too so he and i had that in common 
I don't listen to radio much anymore. I don't listen to radio hardly at all anymore unless I am in the car and have forgotten my my uh, iPod or whatever. I also wanted to mention because I know we're gonna we're going to segue into the music, uh, but I wanted to mention that yet also in the mail yesterday we got Lynette Hensley has produced a book of poetry and fine art, all of her own making, that is just dazzling and. The artwork is amazing. I haven't read the poetry yet, but the, what little I have read, I think this is going to be a very enjoyable book that she's put together put together during the pandemic, and I think it's fabulous. She's a great artist. She's a multimedia artist. She also writes songs and performs with her partner, Larry Bumgardner, and, and uh, is a great, has a beautiful singing voice, and uh, just, you know, multi-talented people. So I'm happy to have that. To look at look the precious to. nature of our friendships with, yeah. with wonderful creative people yeah on the cover it's called it's just called poetry book but it says on the front cover it says so how are you doing these days the artist asks herself i'm doing pandemically she replied as she stapled her face covering to an old drugstore yardstick and waved it like a surrender flag how about you i wondered what it would be like to write some poetry the artist said so i did <laughs> that's the front cover and then underneath it just says poetry book but there's more than poetry in here man and some of Lynette's paintings are just dazzling and her photographs are great so I find that a lot of artistic people really blossomed during this time because there was so much ability to just <laughs> be at home and do yeah uh, turn, do inward, our, turn inward and yeah and do creative work do the stuff that you used to only have time for when your time was spare you know when you had spare time and to be able to devote more attention to it that's certainly been true of me and uh it's been good so yay lynette so anyway the clive davis documentary yeah yeah well basically the one of the things that also impressed me was how much ageism was represented in mm-hmm. that uh, that documentary. That when he had that he would get to a certain level, and maybe the first time it might have been because he was making too much money, right in Colombia, and so they fired him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they let him of, go. Yeah. Was, oh no, no it was wasn't. A, it was also was a, because there of was scandal. An accounting scandal at yeah. Columbia Records. But that, somehow they hung it on him with no with um, no evidence. No evidence. Yeah. And then the next Arista Records. Arista Records, which he started he stopped his himself. They forced him out at some point because they thought he was too old. He got to be sixty five, sixty six, and they forced him out because they thought he was too old. And uh, so then he went and started another label. Somebody offered to finance him starting another label. And every executive that he had worked with at Arista, all the executive board and people who had been immediately under him at Arista jumped to this new label with him, which was testament to his, you know, the fact that he wasn't anywhere near done yet. And he eventually was invited back when BMG bought out Arista he was brought back at, uh, to BMG, which was a huge conglomerate. So he had this huge catalog, all the artists that he had rep- that he had been involved with at Arista, and all the artists he had been involved with at Columbia were now under one umbrella. So the guy's like living the dream. 
as far as his dream goes. But but I also thought that it was interesting that he saw the the spark of older artists right. that he would bring them aboard, like Carlos Santana, yeah, who he had worked with. The in album Columbia. Supernatural was a product of Clive Davis's influence on Carlos Santana, who I don't think had a record deal at that time. So Clive Davis signed him to Arista and, you know, got him together with Rob Thomas and they recorded the song Smooth and it was like the biggest thing Carlos Santana had ever experienced. And it made that super, that album Supernatural a multi-platinum bestseller worldwide. And so you just, you watch these things and, you know, you, you have to feel that by the end of the film, this is not coincidence. This is not a streak of luck. This is somebody who has an ear and an eye and a, and his talent is for putting an artist and a song together and, and getting it out there. But for him to to take... Same thing with Aretha Franklin. Yeah, Aretha Franklin and Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox. And so it was just... That was a fascinating thing to me because in my experience with our local musicians they have only gotten better as they've aged and but the music industry is geared to the youth exactly and so there's a there's a marginalization that is automatic and almost expected at this point Um, but there's a freedom for the artist who doesn't has never bought into the that that level of ambition or that type of ambition um, so now the people that we know here locally are really relishing a time when they can create what they want to create and they don't have to please anybody but themselves and the people who love their music as long as you're pleasing yourself the people who love your music are going to love it that's exactly right and uh, that's, that's a nice place to be and so that's what influenced my my when you asked me this morning who should we have as music I was thinking well I was really sparked by watching that documentary last night and hearing all that music I I almost said Carlos Santana too I mean it was kind of a a flip between the 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 uh, ones that I would like to say oh man you know when I heard that that was just so exciting to hear that particular song again the soundtrack to that movie would be you know basically a greatest hits album (laughs) of the last 50 years exactly it's amazing the number of different artists from Springsteen to Whitney Houston to you know Earth Wind and Fire and and uh you know Big Brother and the Holding Company Janis Joplin it's the, the breadth of the uh, Barry Manilow, you know, to Aerosmith, you know, these this wide swath of popular music has all kind of, I mean, Clive Davis kind of has been the nucleus to so much of that. So. Well, and he allowed uh, rock to even be introduced mm-hmm. into the product line. Right, Columbia Records was against it. Yeah. Their head A&R guy was Mitch Miller of Sing Along With Mitch fame, so... <laughs> You know, the idea of introducing rock and roll was total anathema to Mitch Miller. He thought it was a flash-in-the-pan phenomenon that would be over within a couple of years, and he was the guy in charge. So, Anyway, it's an interesting story and worth worth watching just because you're going to hear a lot of songs that are very familiar to you and find out where they came from, you know. 
So. Two of the the artists, though, that really impressed me during just the little snatches of music you were hearing were Annie Lennox and Aretha Franklin. Both yeah. of those artists just wowed me. Yeah. And I was thinking about, once again, that Annie Lennox was getting older and Aretha Franklin, was uh, she was getting older when he put... Was working with them. Yeah. 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 Same thing with Dionne Warwick. He had, she had a resurgence in her career because of Clive Davis. Right. And he pursued her. She thought she was pretty much done with performing. And Clive Davis said, well, you you may think you're done, but the people who love your music don't think you're done. So come on. And she had a string of hits. And so. because they were going through I don't I don't know whether they had the song that we're going to play by Annie Lennox as one of the examples. I can't remember, but... Uh, I think but, we heard a snatch of it. But they did have sisters are doing it for themselves. And I thought, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how there are, you have so much music in this river of your life just going through and you just love these. It's sort of like you get to revisit these yeah. banks yeah. of beauty along the way. and. Yeah. And you think, I haven't listened to that song in ages. I love that song. Uh, and it's worth going back and listening to some of that stuff. So. And I thought it would be such a good representation of two of the artists that he, uh, that he brought aboard when they were older. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, what they, powerhouses they were.
so bad.